Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, again, welcome. I'm Pastor Brandon, one of the pastors on staff here at North Main Street Church of God. I'm super excited that you're here of all days, Father's Day. And those of you joining on TV or online, welcome this morning as well. Uh, We're going to continue our series today on the pursuit of patience. Our theme for the year has been patience. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're talking about how the pursuit of patience requires researching. When you hear the word research or researching, what does that conjure in your mind? Exciting, fun stuff? Do you really enjoy? Some of us do. I love research. Yes, that is weird, but I enjoy it. I enjoy digging deeper, learning, understanding. Uh, My life's pursuit of research started in college, which first off, I never thought I would ever do or go to or experience because I was a horrendous student in elementary school, middle school, and high school. I graduated with a 2.8. Woo! Yeah, baby, that was amazing, amazing GPA for Central Kentucky. So, I'm just kidding. And a class of 29 graduating from high school at a public school, I was lower middle. It's really not competitive when you have 29 people. I'm just saying. I was an overachiever. But when I got to college, and I I didn't go to college right away out of high school, I uh, stayed out of college. I wanted to make money. I felt a calling to ministry when I was a teenager, uh, about 16 years old, and, and I knew there was a calling into ministry, but as a young teenage boy graduating high school, my eyes were on making money, buying cars, doing those kind of things. No, they had cooties. Somebody said girls, for those of you that didn't hear online, I'm just kidding. And girls, yes, I would say girls. I, I, uh, but I found the best girl at college. Who knew that I had to go 1,000 miles away from home to meet the true love of my life who grew up about 30 minutes from where I lived? Just that God did. You are correct bringing it all spiritual, whatever. (laughs) Oh, wait, we're in a church service. That's what this is about. Okay. Sorry, I am really digressing here. This isn't even in my notes. So welcome again. But I stayed out of high school for about two years pursuing my heart's desire, which led to empty feelings and depression, if truth be known. I remember going through several different jobs, doing several different things. My final job was working for Coca-Cola in Lexington, Kentucky, off Leestown Road. I was the little guy with the little Coca-Cola gray shirt with red Coca-Cola here, and I had black pants, and I was called a merchandiser. I'd drive those little minivans around to the different stores and stock the shelves from the supply room and set up the displays. And I was making good money for that time. But I was miserable. 
I, I hated it. For anybody growing up where I did, that was a job you would want. That's a job you can make a career at. That's a job you could really settle into and make a decent living at. I hated it. I hated it. Why did I hate it? I hated it because I knew there was something more God had called me to, and I was running and fighting against it, running from it, fighting against it. Some of you may be in that position today. I don't know. But it took me two years to figure that out. Until one day, I was driving this stupid little Coca-Cola van, and I was in this deep depression. Everything was dark. It could have been a, the brightest, sunshiny day, but everything was dark. You ever been that way, felt that way? And I finally said, as I'm driving that little vehicle to the next stop, God, I will do whatever it takes to never feel this way again. And that voice was, okay, do you mean that? Yes. And when I got back to the main warehouse, I went into the general manager's office and I said, I know this is going to sound weird to you, but I felt a calling to ministry a few years ago when I was in high school, and I am, I've rejected that call, I've run away from that call, and I'm here. And so I'm quitting today because I'm going to go pursue that. And I didn't get any weird pushback or like, wow, that's idiotic or stupid from the general manager. I just got, well, thank you for your work here these past few months, and uh, I, hope, I hope it goes well for you. And I left. But when I left and I stepped out of that space, I can't explain it unless you've ever experienced it yourself, this tremendous weight was gone. Not because I was leaving Coca-Cola, but because I was pursuing God and God's best for me. That sent me on a course to enroll in college, which I never thought I could do because I had already convinced myself I was a horrible student and I don't study well, don't take tests well. I hate to read. And you've heard me state over and over again, back in my day, we had what were called Cliff's Notes. Now they're called Spark Notes online or something like that. But I had Cliff's Notes. I even hated to read the Cliff's Notes. And it was forbidden by the teachers to read the Cliff's Notes because you were supposed to read the book. And they could tell, I don't know how, that when you read the Cliff's Notes, that you'd read the Cliff's Notes. Hated it. But I said, all right, God, I will do whatever you want, but I want to be educated more than I am now before I step into this realm called ministry because I feel so ill-equipped. And when I stepped into college, it turned for me. This hunger and thirst, not just for righteousness, but for knowledge and the knowledge of God took me over. And it poured, I poured over not only the scripture, but every book I could begin to get my hands on. I was eating it up. Every class of theology class, every Bible class, every ministry or leadership course, I was eating it up. I didn't want to read the Cliff's Notes anymore. I wanted to read the real deal. I wanted to search and study to show myself approved because I knew that I was on the track that God had called me and there was nothing that was going to deter me or turn me away from that. Now, I will say, when I went to college, I said I would never be a pastor. Never wanted to be in church ministry. 
I was wanting to be in radio or some kind of communication arts thing, but as a Christian broadcaster or something like that, people say I have a face for radio. (laughs) And so I did try to pursue that, but when I got to campus and I was meeting different people and meeting different professors before I even declared a major, I met this one guy, and I doubt he's even watching today by the name of Dr. Varner. Dr. Varner from West Virginia. And he was the most gregarious, bubbly, full-spirited young man, older gentleman, that I have ever met. And he convinced me (laughs) that my major should be in ministry and not in communication arts. And again, I continued to study and to chew up the Word of God. But I still said, I'm never going to be a pastor. And my wife who grew up in a pastor's home, whose dad was a pastor for many years, said she would never marry a pastor. And I said, that's great. I'm never going to be one. (laughs) And here we are 23 years later. All that goes back to research. And why do I tell you all that? Because it was a process of patience which which led us and continues to lead us to where we are. If God had said, here's the course of your life and the twists and turns it's going to take and where you'll ultimately end up when you're 46, I would have said, (laughs) no, not going to happen. I appreciate the offer, but thanks, but no thanks, right? At least because that was my mindset. But this slow process of God's leading and my researching and this self-awareness and understanding of who God created me to be evolved over time. Again, I think back, I would have never thought I would be on a stage anywhere doing this. But my pursuit of God, my pursuit of who Christ is, has led us to this amazing place. My daughter, Micaiah, and I think she's upstairs today, just turned 20 last week, and my other daughter, Cameron, turned 18 last week. But Micaiah asked me, do you feel fulfilled? Do you have any regrets in life? She just asked me not too long ago. And I said, you know, honestly, I don't. We've lived, even into our mid-40s, one of the fullest lives anybody could ever ask for or imagine. We've lived in three, four different states. We've traveled the world in some regards, doing missions work and different things like that. Uh, we have four amazing kids We are extremely blessed, and I have no regrets. Have I done it perfectly? No. If you want to hear how we've not done it perfectly, ask any one of my kids. They are these megaphones of, hey, guess where my dad screws up? I'll tell you. And they will tell you all the dirty, dark things you want to know. But the reality is I'm fulfilled because of a moment in time where I was running from God and what God's best was for me to me finally saying, I'll do whatever it takes. I can't do this anymore. And so my pursuit of God led me to the heart of Christ, which is what I want to talk to you about today. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, toward the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, actually after he's given us every teaching that he's told us about in the previous two to three chapters, says something very significant. He says there are two different foundations that you can build on. 
One's on firm, solid rock, and the other one is on shifting sand. And I want to talk to you about that today. In the book entitled Buildings and Structures, Andrew Solway writes, and I've used this illustration before, but it begs repeating again. Listen to it. He writes, the tallest, and this is true today, the tallest building of the world is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It rises more than 2,700 feet, which is over a half a mile tall. It has 160 floors, is twice as tall as the Empire State Building in New York City. It is home to the world's fastest elevator. You want to guess how many miles per hour the fastest elevator goes? 40 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was crazy. The Burj Khalifa also hosts the world's highest outdoor observation deck at the 124th floor and the world's highest swimming pool on the 76th floor. But the secret to the stability of the tallest building in the world is found underground. Before construction began to rise up, workers spent a whole year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports this building. The foundation contains some 58,900 cubic yards of concrete, which weighs more than 110,000 tons. You see, the building is safe because the foundation is solid. <clears throat> the building's foundation is deep. The building's foundation is made of rock. And that's why it hasn't shifted since it's been built. It's not to say it can't ever come tumbling down, but the reality is, <clears throat> based on the way they built it, it would take some massive force to topple it. Truly, godly and righteous living is important, uh, that is important, is a matter of obedience. Our foundation has got to be something greater than ourselves, greater than what we want things to be. Remember, I was telling you, I wanted to make money. I wanted to get out of my house. I wanted to make a living on my own and do my own thing, but I was rejecting God's best for me. I wanted to build my own life, my own foundation, and do my own thing. And God said, okay, if that's really what you want, it's not that he, you know, put the, it's like, I'm going to make you feel miserable. No, he said he doesn't do that. But God knows that we won't be fulfilled without fulfilling his calling on our lives. It's not that he zaps us with depression. God's not like that. God says, here's a way for you. I created you for something more. And you can only be truly fulfilled if you follow this way. I'm not going to curse you for not following my way, but I know that it's the best way because I've created my best for you. At the closest Jesus' sermon on the mount, he gives us these words. Listen to them. Matthew 7, 24 through 28. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 
Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. The teachers of religious law had doctorates in the Bible. They were the upper echelon of the religious elites of the day. And the people that are listening, these crowds at the Sermon on that Mount are listening, are hearing these words, and they're saying, this is completely different than anything we've ever heard from the professionals. This guy... I know he didn't go through the certain types of training that our religious elite did. He doesn't have the degrees and he doesn't have, you know, the vitae that every professor would have. Where does he get this authority? He gets the authority from the sheer fact that he is the living God. (laughs) That he knows all, sees all, and understands all. And Jesus says a bold statement Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. It either takes a really pompous and arrogant person to say that, who is lying to you, or somebody who is truly telling you the truth. For Jesus to say the things he said would either make him, as C.S. Lewis says, a liar, a lunatic, or something worse, closer to the devil of hell, He can't just be a good and wise teacher, somebody that we like to listen to because he's full of forgiveness and love. See, Jesus didn't give us, he didn't give us the option of thinking he is something other than who he truly claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And so it bears repeating If we listen to his teachings, if we follow his teachings, if we study his teachings and apply his teachings, it doesn't mean that we won't won't feel the effects of the weight of the world around us or that we won't get hurt or feel sorrow. But what it does mean that when we go through those things, he is the one who sustains us. He's the one who gives life and who walks through the deepest and darkest valleys of the shadow of death with us. The key point today is this. The pursuit of patience involves following Jesus' teachings. You want to be the most patient person? Follow Jesus. If you want to be a crabby, mean, hateful person, don't follow Jesus. Now, I know you know patient people that don't claim to have a faith in Jesus Christ. That's a personality type. But truly, to learn patience is to follow Christ. To go through the things that Jesus went through, to be rejected the way Jesus was rejected, and to see him not raise a fist, a hand toward anybody shows an amazing, not just restraint, but love for others. Jesus' teachings, first point is, are foundational to a fulfilled life. Biblical scholar and author uh, Louis Barbary 
writes, the foundation determines the ability of a structure to withstand the elements, rains and winds. The rock foundation represented the Lord himself and the truths that, had been, that he had been presenting, especially the truth concerning inner transformation. So let me talk to you about this. When Jesus is using this imagery about the winds and the rains and the, the floodwaters, there were people in that region in Judea and Galilee that knew there was a rainy season and a dry season. There are these things called wadis, W-A-D-I, and they are these huge carved valleys in the mountainsides and the hill regions of Judea and Galilee. For the most part, these mountains are dry, barren, brown. They might have some scrub brush growing on them. But these wadis, during their torrential downpours and rain seasons, become these mighty rivers running down the sides of these mountains. And they carve out these huge places and they tear sediment from the mountains and down through the valleys and, and they leave residue. It was known that you don't build on those hillsides or in those wadis during the dry season. Why? Because many people did because there would be a rainy season that would come. And the sediment that they built on for this, what would be a temporary home, would ultimately be their demise because it would wash out when the rains came. Jesus is giving them imagery that they could truly relate to. It made sense to them so that they could understand the real teaching of what he was getting at. And that is, listen, my teachings are like that. If you build on my teachings and follow my ways and my commands, it's like building on rock. You're not going to be shaken when the world comes at you with a convincing argument. You're not going to be convinced when the enemy tries to tempt you to do something that is against God's will because you are founded and rooted in Christ and his teachings. But if you are not rooted in Christ, you're building your home in places where you shouldn't, then when the rainy season comes, when the hard times hit, you're not going to be standing firm enough to withstand that. The floodwaters, when they come down, when your world comes crashing down, you're going to not know what hits you. And these words might ring in your ears. Oh my gosh, Jesus said this. If I build on a faulty foundation, a faulty spiritual foundation, a faulty life, if I'm living being a Coca-Cola merchandiser for the rest of my life when he's called me into this, What am I going to end up? I mean, it's not that you can't build a life as a merchandiser, but if that's not what you're called to, then you're running from God. You may be called to be a merchandiser. Be the best merchandiser you can. You may be called to be a teacher, a garbage man. You may be called to be any number of things. Fulfill that to the fullest of your abilities and allow God to use you and manifest his presence in you where you're planted. But you gotta be planted where God desires to plant you rather than where you desire to plant yourself. Where does all of this start? Jesus says, the one who follows my teachings or plants or roots himself in me is wise. 
What are the teachings Jesus is talking about? They aren't some ambiguous list of things just kind of scattered about. He has been teaching them over a long period of time on this mountaintop as these throngs of people come and surround him. From Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, it is the, one of the longest sermons you'll ever read in the Bible. And he hits numerous topics. And when Jesus in Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 4, sat down and began to teach them as we get into Matthew chapter five, he unpacks for them truly the perspective of what he came for, what the kingdom of God is like, and what he expects of us. I, let, me, let me say this. Unless somebody is truly honest and truthful with you about what they expect of you, don't ever follow them. Do you understand what I'm getting at? See, Jesus didn't want there to be any mistake about what he was expecting. The church has done some great damage through the years by not telling the truth. We like to tell the good stuff, but not usually the bad stuff. You got any number of ministers, pastors, preachers out there that will only tell you the good parts of Scripture, but won't really talk about the difficult things of Scripture. Be careful, because if they're not giving you the whole truth and nothing but the truth of the word, you're only hearing partial truth. And that can be very devastating because when junk happens to you and you don't realize that that happens to believers in Christ, some people get very disillusioned and they walk away because they've only been given partial truth about who God is and not realizing that there's a lot more to the picture than they've come to understand. What Jesus is specifically talking about is this Sermon on the Mount. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about hatred. He talks about any number of things. He talks about how he didn't come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. He talks about the right way to pray. He talks about the importance of forgiving your enemies and loving your enemies. He, he talks about what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven? It's simply this, heaven, where we will spend eternity. But he also talks about those who reject his teachings and how the foolish ones will succumb to the devastations of the reality of a thing we call hell. We just don't like to talk, we like to talk about heaven, we never like to talk about hell. But the reality is, there, is there, there are these two different places. God didn't create us for hell. He created us for heaven. The thing that gets us there is rejecting Christ. The thing that gets us to hell is rejecting Christ. The thing that gets us to heaven is embracing Christ and following his way. The foolish person hears and doesn't listen is what he tells us in this passage. Unlike the wise person who takes into consideration what it really takes to build a structure, the foolish person just begins building without any thought or real insight. Oh, there's a good-looking place. That looks scenic. I like that view. There are buildings that you can look at, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. It's a great structure. It's now it would not be as famous today if it didn't have its iconic tilt. But do you know why it's tilted? 
It's built on a faulty foundation. It's not built in the way that it should have been built. The ground on which it is built is not as solid as it should be built. Unless they had taken the necessary, (coughs) excuse me, precautions a few decades ago to stop its tilt, it would eventually have toppled over before the year 2000, according to some uh, architects. But they stopped it. They braced it. They figured out a way to keep it from going because it was tilting a fraction of an inch every year. We have a lot of people walking around tilted today, don't we? Now, I'm not, I'm not even talking about the world around us. Of course, you can go out and find any number of people that reject any notion of Christ that are tilted, and they're unashamedly tilted, and they are very proud of it. But in the church, we have a lot of tilted people. And the tilt comes from not living on a firm foundation. Oh, sure, you say the right things. You, 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 give, you give the right kind of dialogue. But inside, your heart is far from God. The foolish person hears but doesn't listen to the word. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30 Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, Jesus says. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish the building, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Before you start building, make sure you know what you're getting into. Because there are people that start out in a faith in Christ, not really calculating the cost of what relationships it will cost you, what it might cost your reputation, what it might cost you by way of vocation. You might even get rejected by family members by taking up the banner of Christ. He says, don't get into the process of following Christ only to leave him because it makes you look foolish. Know what you're getting into. See, Jesus doesn't want to, you know, bait and switch us like a lot of very crafty speakers do. No, I'm just going to tell you the good things to get you in so you start paying money like tithes so that we can keep this monstrosity up. Jesus was never about that. You know what he was about? Truth and love. Truth and grace. The full embodiment of truth. The full embodiment of grace. He wanted you to know what you're getting into. The Sermon on the Mount, I promise you. Go and read that when you get a chance. Sometime this week, before the end of the week is up, it's only three chapters long. Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. You tell me if Jesus pulled any punches. This meek and mild, gentle Jesus was pretty hard in those verses. And not because he hates or wants to completely cause you discomfort, but because sometimes the truth, when heard, is hard to hear. We talked about that a little bit in my class this morning. Truth, when spoken, evokes two different reactions. It evokes either repentance and acceptance of that truth or complete rejection of the truth and offense. 
Jesus says this, when you are rejected for my name's sake, remember they rejected me first. And you will be rejected when you carry the full truth in the banner of Christ. Because the world rejects the truth. That's how it works. The foolish person hears but doesn't listen. James, Jesus' half-brother, writes a five-chapter book or letter in the New Testament. Listen to what he says. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I looked in the mirror this week. I didn't realize I'm getting gray eyebrows. I haven't forgotten that, but there's aspects of who I am when I walk away from a mirror I forget about. I have a vague image of what I look like. Some of you have been seeing a Facebook picture that's been floating around of, of me. <coughs> and some of you have commented on it very meanly. <laughs> it's when I, was, when I was in high school, it's probably 15 or 16 years old, and a young lady that I graduated with, who I haven't talked to in a couple decades or more, must have found this picture as she was going through her pictures. And no, it's not a digital one. And she uploaded it and, and said, this is Amy Nichols with Brandon Linhart, and there's another girl in the picture who I graduated with also. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at that guy. You think, you think I mean, the forehead was still there. It just shows that I have a huge brain. I'm just saying. No, I'm serious. This guy doesn't look anything like me. Where does, where does that guy go? Where has he gone? That guy who I, I looked at in the mirror some 30 years ago. <laughs> this isn't him, right? Are we ones who look in a mirror and turn away from the words of God? <clears throat> hear, hear me very carefully. There's a difference between hearing and listening, okay? Okay. When, when the scripture talks about hearing the word and applying it, it means you're actually listening to the person or the words that are being spoken. How many of you have ever done this, full confession time, that you have been in a conversation with someone and you're hearing them, but you're not really listening? All right, good. There's a couple that have raised their hand. Me too. My wife will tell you that... She has told me things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, I don't remember you telling me that. It's because I was hearing but not truly listening. Um, I don't have my phone on me. How many of you listen this way? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. But you're not listening. Right? Active listening is actually perking your ears up to the words that are being said, comprehending them, and applying them. It's the difference when I was in college where we were having all of these different classes in ministry classes. We were, excuse me, if you were a ministry major, you were also expected to be involved in a local church at some leadership level. We had two chapel services. We, guess what? We were on information overload. 
We were cramming to retain whatever we could so that we could pass the test, but then oftentimes at the end of the test or when the semester was over, a lot of what we learned for information purposes got flushed. One of our professors, Mike Sanders, who's now in Oklahoma City, uh, a professor there at Mid-America, uh, one of our Church of God colleges there, who we had, my wife and I, at Warner, said something pretty profound in one of his ministry classes to us when we were students here. There are many of you that, that, that study for informational purposes, but you need to study for transformational purposes. And the reality is, how many times have I studied just to cram in the information? I do a devotion time because I have to. It's a part of my routine. But I'm not really allowing the Word of God to transform me. I'm just going through the motions. And see, that's what Jesus is talking about. The wise person not only listens but applies. He builds on solid rock. And the rock is Christ. What about the person who listens and is wise. The person who listens and obeys is the one who lasts and withstands whatever test comes their way. Romans 2, verse 13, Paul says, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Now, I know some of you who are somewhat biblical scholars will say, Brandon, he was giving the contrast between law and grace. Yes, there's a lot more going on in the passage here, but the truth is still evident. What Paul's saying here, you don't just listen to the law of God. Jesus being the embodiment of that law. Jesus saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He was the living embodiment of the word of God, the word made flesh who dwelled among us. The same context. Jesus signed the contract of the covenant agreement for the Old Testament. And he gave us a new covenant through his blood. Do you remember that at the Last Supper? It doesn't mean we dismiss the Old Testament. No, because it is words of truth given by God to change people's hearts. I love it when people say, we don't have to live by the Ten Commandments anymore. We got Jesus. Yes, but that same Jesus who took the law and said, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery, one of the Ten Commandments. What does he say? You've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say, if you look at a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already. What does Jesus do with the law? He steps it up a notch. So instead of making it less weighty, he says, here's the reality the law that was given to show people how sinful they were, that they needed to follow, now I say the true root of sin is in the heart and in the mind before it becomes an action. You need to nip it there. You've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but I say if you hate a brother, you stand in judgment. He has a whole lineage of these. Every Tenth, or every, every one of the Ten Commandments is, is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount with exception of one, the Sabbath. <gasps> ba, ba, ba. What do we do with that one? Well, actually, Jesus spoke about it in other parts where the religious leader had abused the Sabbath and lorded over people to become oppressive. He says the Sabbath wasn't 
made for man, or man wasn't made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. What he was saying is, this is a day given to you to rest, to focus on me. But I'm not going to force you to do that. Because that's not my way. That's a religious leader's way. You need to willingly come to me and rest in me. And if you're not willing to do that, that's on you. Many of us need rest today. And we say we can't do it. No, it's that we, not that we can't, it's just that we won't. You make time for those things that are important. In 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And the Christ is really this English word or the Latin word for Messiah. Okay? Or it's the Greek word for Messiah. We know we love God's children if we love and obey God's commandments. Or love and obey his. Let me read that again. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too, meaning the Father in heaven. We know that we love God's children, hear this, if we love God and obey his commandments. How do we know that we love? We don't like to say this. The word obedience has become one of those, ooh, don't say obey. Because we don't like that. I'm a self-made, independent person. Don't tell me I have to submit. If there's anything negative that has come from the independent culture in which we live is that we aren't dependent on anybody. The reality is God made us dependent on him. But he doesn't force our dependence on him. He allows us a choice. We don't like that word obey, but listen to verse 3, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world. Every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? That's a good question. Who can win the battle against the world when the world seems to have a very strong battle against us. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And believing that Jesus is the Son of God is not just a uh, cerebral thing I do. Do you understand that? Oh yeah, I believe in God. But you do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. No. <laughs> so that's not how this works. You can't just say you believe and not live your belief. That's called being a hypocrite. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day and age were just like that. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 23 can say, the religious leaders obey everything they tell you, but don't follow their lead. Because they don't live what they're teaching you to obey. He says, they're trying to make you into twice the devil of hell that they are. Follow what they teach you, don't follow them. How could that be applied to today? How many 
pastors and spiritual leaders have fallen into moral failure that haven't lived out the truth of God's word in their own life, but have lived a shadow life telling others to live a certain way when they themselves are not living that way. And then everybody else, many people get disillusioned by that and they walk away from the church. It's because they were following a person rather than the one the person was talking about. It's the same thing Jesus was talking about in his day. Do what they teach from the word, but don't follow them. I will tell you, don't follow me. Read the word. Study to show yourselves approved. Get in and chew on the meat of the word. And where it's difficult, instead of giving up, press in. Seek godly counsel from those who have been there, done that. Don't learn the word in a vacuum Learn it within the body of Christ. And don't believe it because I teach it. Believe it because it's true and you've learned it to be true because you've been there, done that too. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, reminds us that the Sermon on the Mount is a message for all of us. If we build our lives on Jesus' teaching, we will be part of the house that lasts forever. But it began as a very specific promise and a warning to his people in his own day. Much of Jesus' teaching is like that. We often discover more of what it means for us but discovering more of what it meant very specifically for them. How can this 2,000-year-old piece of literature mean anything to me? Because it was transformative to the lives of those who were called by Christ's name to come and follow him. And they radically changed the world. I'm reading a book right now, which is actually an old book. It's called How Christianity Changed the World. If you want to read an amazing book with tons of footnotes that has been thoroughly researched by a sociologist who's explored all these different people groups from different history times in history about how Christianity has left an indelible imprint on the world over the past 2,000 years. You can't miss it. It's amazing. And how societies and governments and structures and the value of life, the value of marriage, took a radical shift We live in a culture today with that imprint, and yet we've forgotten the God through whom it originated. The wise person not only reads and understands Jesus' teaching, but they live them out the best way they can, even when it's tough to do so. Let me conclude with this as our worship team comes forward and he begins to close us out. I hate all of you. You guys are the worst. You just ruined my conclusion. That is, a, that is an image you'll never be able to get out of your minds. If you have really bad eyesight, God bless you. You wanted the people at home to see that. You jerks. You will pay dearly. Moving on from that, 
How many of you know uh, of a guy by the name of Billy Graham? Okay, good. So this, there's a book he wrote back in the early 1990s entitled Storm Warning. I want you to hear this. I mean, this, this is, gosh, 30 years ago. Check this out. He wrote this book called Storm Warning in which he talks about the various challenges that faced America toward the end of the 20th century. Even more so today, the following illustration from this book is a stark warning for the Christian church in America to listen and obey the teachings of Christ that will always lead to safety and hope. Listen to what he writes. In 1969, in past Pass Christian, Mississippi, that's the name of the city, Pass Christian, P-A-S-S Christian, Mississippi, a group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party in the face of a storm called Camille. The wind was howling outside the, the, the posh Richelieu apartments when police chief Jerry Peralta pulled up sometime after dark. A man with a drink in his hand came out from the second floor balcony of his apartment and he waved. And Peralta, the police chief, yelled up to him, You need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm's getting worse. But as others joined this man on the balcony, they just laughed at the chief's order to leave. This is my land, one of them yelled. If you want me off, you'll have to arrest me. Sorry, it's Mississippi. Um, Peralta didn't arrest anyone, but he wasn't able to persuade them to leave either. He wrote down the names of the next of kin of the 20 or so people who gathered there to party through the storm that night. They laughed as he took their names. They had been warned, but they had no intention of heeding the warning. It was 10:15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore the worst part of the hurricane. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speeds at more than 205 miles per hour, the strongest on record. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets, it seemed, and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later showed that the worst damage came at the little settlement of motels and gambling houses known as Pass Christian, Mississippi. <clears throat> where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party at the Richelieu apartments. Nothing was left of the three-story structure but the foundation. <laughs> the only survivor was a five-year-old boy clinging onto a mattress the following day that they found. Hearing and listening are two different things. It's only... It's not only important to build your life on the right foundation, but it's also just as important what you build on that foundation. A life fully surrendered to God is a life that remains steadfast and secure when the hurricane force winds and rains of a person's life seek to destroy them. A life lived in obedience to Christ is a life that's fulfilled and a life that will ultimately be saved no matter the storms of this life. So what foundation have you built your life on are you a leaning tower? Do you only believe to a point? Or have you fully surrendered to Christ, the Lord and Savior of your life, and said, whatever it takes, God, I'm going to follow you. I can't live this way anymore. 
I'm done trying to do what I've always done and continue to get the same result. I'm done. I don't know what anybody else is going to do. I don't know how my family's going to react. I don't know how my friends will react. I don't know if they'll reject me. The reality is I don't care anymore. All I care about is you. What foundation have you built on? Who have you surrendered your life to? Because truly, even if you're an atheist or agnostic, you're living for somebody. Maybe it's just yourself. But the truth is, you can't save yourself. Not really. You may deceive yourself into believing that, but if you are all that is a reality for your own life, what a sad existence. It's not because you are worth less. You only know your true worth is rooted in Christ. He is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But you can only know how wonderfully made you are when rooted in him. Our altars are always open. Those of you at home, pray where you are. If you're driving, listen to this message. I always joke around, pull over and don't, you know, don't pray with your eyes closed driving down the road. But if you want to be prayed with, if you like, I, I hear the message, I understand it, but I don't know how to move from where I am to where I need to be. Somebody will help walk you through that today on this side. If you want to pray alone, you know what needs to be, decision needs to be made. You know what you need to do, but you just need to work it out with God. Come to my left, your right. Nobody will bother you over here. You can have your quiet time with God there. But again, as I mention every week, don't leave this place without being in right standing with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Father, in this place, I know there are people going through a myriad or a multitude of different things. They feel like they're being battered from all signs by wind, rain, torrential floods. Every time they get their footing, they feel like they're knocked down again by another wave. Lord, I pray that your holy presence would be the foundation on which they can stand firm. If they haven't found that, I pray that you would help them to find that, to be rooted in you so that they can withstand whatever comes their way because they are in you and you were in them. I pray for those that are hopelessly lost that may be listening to this message and they're fighting internally against the words that they hear that are convicting them that there's something that needs to change but they don't want to make that change right now. And I pray right now that you'd help them to completely surrender their lives to you in a way that they've never done in the past. I hope and I pray that they would take that step of faith in your direction. And those that have been longtime believers that have weathered the storms of life because they've been rooted in Christ and obedience to your word, I pray that you would encourage them. Help them to know that these years of doing that have never been in vain, but God is what has sustained them. Again, Father, we love you. Help us to be wise in our following you. Help us to research and to love you and to grow in knowledge and understanding of your word. As we mentioned last week in Psalm 119, as the psalmist says, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. 
make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.